You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Hey, just a few quick notes here before we begin this edition of the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Uh, Andy hosted this edition of the postgame show. I was unable to be there. As always, Andy does a wonderful job uh, in my absence. Also, no Assembly Call radio uh, on Thursday night. It is Thanksgiving, so we will be observing Thanksgiving with our families. Um, we will miss you. We wish you all a wonderful Thanksgiving, especially those of you in the chat mob who show up for the uh, for the live broadcast. Um, but have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and then we will be back on Friday with the IU-UC Davis postgame show. Yes, Indiana plays Friday night, IU-UC Davis. Don't stick this on BTN+. Plus. Yes, Ryan, unfortunately, the game is on BTN+. Plus. It's Friday night, 7 o'clock Eastern, so you will need your BTN Plus account to watch it. So because we don't have a show on Thursday, as you have heard, if you've been listening to the last few episodes of Assembly Call Radio, we have a new presenting sponsor for Assembly Call Radio. That is Comfort Option. They're big IU fans at Comfort Option. Uh, we love them. We've kind of been telling you the backstory of how this entire partnership came about. So I want to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit more about them since I won't be able to on Thursday. Comfort Option is an Indiana-based mattress manufacturer. They are backed by over 65 years of experience, and they are third-generation family-owned and operated. They're all IU grads. They're they're big IU fans, as you heard on the most recent episode of Banner Monday. Uh, their CMO Nathan, who's the guy that reached out to me to get this partnership started, submitted a question because he's you know just a big IU fan and follows the team just like the rest of us. So I haven't told you much yet about their actual products, and I want to start doing that now. Comfort Option actually has two options for you to consider. So if you live in the greater Indianapolis area or in Bloomington, you should check out their store-to-your-door mattress program. It is a customized mattress service in which you simply make a free appointment online, and then they bring a mobile mattress showroom to you, to your house, seriously. And it is a no-pressure, no-obligation experience. Once they're there, you can try out all the customized constructions on the spot and purchase one if you like. Or you can choose not to, and you'll be thanked for giving it a try, and everybody kind of goes on uh, their merry way. If you do choose to get the mattress, then Comfort Option will build the mattress right then and there, that day, and install it in your home, which is pretty crazy. So the other option, if you're not in the greater Indianapolis or Bloomington area, which I know is a lot of you, is they have a mattress called Alpha by Comfort Option. And this is a high-quality, very highly-reviewed mattress model that Comfort Option will roll, box, and ship to customers nationwide. They'll even ship it to, say, San Diego, if you happen to have a podcast co-host who occasionally complains about sleep during your shows. I could not sleep. I just want to go lay in bed. Do I look like I just woke up? Because I did. Well, Ryan, I'm thinking maybe you need to consider a new mattress. What do you say? I'm buying no matter how expensive it is. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's actually not that expensive. Certainly not what you would expect based on what we've come kind of to be conditioned to expect from mattress prices. And here's why. With Comfort Option, you're going factory direct. So when you buy straight from the manufacturer, like with Comfort Option, you cut out the middleman, you avoid the significant markup that is all too common in the mattress industry, and the result is unbeatable comfort, unbeatable value, and your best night's sleep 
all for less. Can a brother get some coupons? Yes, you can. When you use the promo code ASSEMBLY, you get $50 off your mattress purchase. $50 off. Not to mention, it helps support the Assembly Call by supporting our sponsors and fellow IU fanatics at Comfort Option. So to learn more, go to ComfortOption.com. That's where you can schedule the free appointment, the free mattress store to your door appointment. Or you can just buy the Alpha by Comfort Option mattress and have it shipped directly to your house. It's ComfortOption.com. Promo code ASSEMBLY for $50 off the mattress purchase. And by the way, I've been talking with Nathan. We have a big promo coming up with him. It involves some tickets. That's all I'm going to say for now. We're still ironing out a few details, but it involves some tickets. We'll kind of have the details in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be really cool, though. So stay tuned. Pay attention to that. All righty. Here now, without further ado, the IU UT Arlington postgame show. Andy is on the mic as your host. Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast uh, is here as our special guest host. And let's get that started right now. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call. Tonight, your Indiana Hoosiers defeated UT Arlington 78-64 to in uh, a game that really is a little bit hard to describe, quite honestly, because, uh, you know, IU ended up having to play the game really, really shorthanded uh, with Deron Davis missing the game, Al Durham getting injured during the game, Romeo Langford taking a shot to the face during the game. Uh, so IU finished the game with really just five players uh, that were kind of able to play at that point and that Archie Miller trusted. And, uh, you know, a game that started out where IU really took a fairly commanding lead, I think got up to a high of a 20-point lead at one point. And then uh, UT Arlington, who shot a ton of threes in the first half but only connected on one of them, started to get hot from long range. IU turned the ball over a bit, missed some free throws, and allowed it to get cut to a one-point lead uh, at one point before really pulling away at the end. So uh, a, a kind of collective sigh of relief, I would say, for for IU fans after the game like tonight. So I'm your host, Andy Bottoms, here with special guest host Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast, and we will break it all down for you on this edition of the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. And let's start tonight's show as we start every show, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Uh, tonight, for me, I guess it was... Uh, you know, as the game got to be, I think, 61 to 60, although, to be honest, the uh, the in-game live box score was acting up a little bit with some of the scoring. But at least according to this, it was 61 to 60 at one point. Uh, and IU really started to ride Juwan Morgan uh, from that point forward. He, he, you know, assisted on a basket to Justin Smith, made a layup of his own, uh, had a nice uh, steal and a, uh, and, a, and a dish to Demise Anderson for a layup and uh, and really played well during that key stretch as IU extended the lead uh, from one point to seven points and IU over the remainder of the game outscored UT Arlington 17 to four to again pull away and make it in some ways uh, the the final score looks a little bit <laughs> maybe the game is is not as uh, lopsided as that looked but at other times it probably was just that lopsided it was a uh, it was a weird game and kind of a you know, survive in advance type of game for IU that really turned into one uh, of survival. But for me, that banner moment was IU really riding Juwan uh, in that in that stretch. And he's a guy, uh, as as did a few others, I believe, that played all 20 minutes in the second half. And for the game, uh, Juwan played 36 minutes. Uh, he, along with Rob Finnessy, played all 20 minutes of the second half as it became clear that IU was not going to have 
any other place to really turn. Uh, so he, he kind of gutted it out through that performance and, uh, and helped lead IU to a victory uh, that was odd, but uh, will hopefully by the end of the season just be another, uh, another mark in the win column that maybe we can all forget about uh, as we go through. But Juwan's play during that stretch was my Who's Your Proud Banner moment. And tonight's Who's Your Proud Banner, Banner moment is brought to you, as always, by our friends Who's Your Proud and now their new brand, Home Field. As longtime listeners of this program know, for years, Hoosier Proud has been the best place to find Indiana-themed apparel that is made for by Hoosiers for Hoosiers. And back in August, Connor and the team at Hoosier Proud took that expertise and created Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand that tells unique stories about a growing list of schools, including Indiana. The website address is homefieldapparel.com. There you will find designs that you can't find anywhere else. For example, you might have seen the picture that Jared Instagrammed and tweeted yesterday wearing his new tri-blend fleece IU hoodie with the vintage IU Bison logo. He even told me before uh, the game that he may never take it off because it's so comfortable. So look for that hoodie at homefieldapparel.com in the Indiana section. And then don't forget, back at their original website, hoosierproud.com, you will still find the best state of Indiana themed apparel, plus our official assembly call logo t-shirts, all while sending 10% of your purchase to causes around Indiana like Habitat for Humanity of Greater Indianapolis. So to review, the two URLs are homefieldapparel.com for IU gear and hoosierproud.com for everything else Indiana, including the assembly call shirts. And as always, use the promo code assembly at checkout to get 15% off your first purchase. That's promo code assembly at homefieldapparel.com and hoosierproud.com. All right, time to move the ball, find the open man, and get some thoughts from the rest of our team, which tonight is one man, Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast, has agreed to join me and uh, help me try to talk through and make sense of this. There was some point in time when there was concern that... Uh, I may, this may end up being a solo show and I'm not sure that I would be able to process everything that happened in this game alone. So Galen, glad to have you. What was your, uh, what's your big takeaway from the game tonight? Well, I, you know, it's funny. We've got two people on this show and that's about how many people I, you finished the game with. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable overall. Um, Andy, can you hear me? Yeah. I, I yeah. It's still there. Okay. It's pretty remarkable from the standpoint of just, like there were two games basically that we saw the first game happened in the first half and it was a game that was certainly trending towards a blowout it was still sloppy though you know there were there were you know a large number of turnovers for IU they were obviously fatigued they were not really concentrating but they were so physically superior to this Texas Arlington team that they looked like they were just going to run away with it and then you know through the process of the first half Al Durham goes out with I don't know if it was an ankle injury. I don't think it was related to the back. From what I heard, he was he was trying to get back into the game, and then something happened. But um, I think they, they ran out of gas in that second half, and you know, unfortunately, they ran out of gas in the worst possible way, which was in the in the backcourt. And the 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 little guards that weren't giving IU a huge amount of trouble in the first half because they weren't hitting started hitting and IU just couldn't keep up with them. They didn't get great defensive performances out of, of anybody playing guard. They didn't really have anybody to come off the bench that could give them good defensive performances. And so it ended up being a performance that just didn't look good uh, for most of the game. But, you know, look, I'll, I'll say this, uh, you know, Ohio state today was trailing at halftime to Samford ended up coming back winning by 18. I don't know if you took the totality of that game, whether it was any worse than what you saw out of Indiana today. A lot of times the order in which things happen tends to affect the way we think about things. And, you know, I think you do have to give this IU team some credit. Getting 
you know, giving away all that lead, allowing UT Arlington to get back to within one, and then somehow finding the internal fortitude to you know, double down offensively, to figure out how to contain Arlington defensively, and to push the lead back out to the point where they win again by double digits, I give them some credit for that. So, you know, I do think there are some positives to take out of this game. I think most of the negatives can be attributed to the extreme lack of depth that this you know, current injury situation has, has raked on this roster. And, you know, I think there's some questions now about the, the guys on the roster that didn't get into the game that we should probably start asking, because I do think we learned some things today that we suspected coming into the game. But, you know, overall, sometimes you have games like this, particularly early in the season, particularly when you have injuries. To some degree, I'm just kind of like, all right, we got through it and let's reset and, and hopefully not get anybody injured, you know, while trying to serve Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, definitely keep these guys away from any kind of sharp knives during any kind of turkey carving scenario, for sure. Uh, you are listening to the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio, breaking down Indiana's 78-64 to win over UT Arlington. And, and Galen, let's start on the first thing you said, because we both touched on this briefly before, before we, we got on. I think the story of this game, more so than the, you know, than the early lead that was lost, more so than the play down the stretch, is just the injuries that keep mounting against this team. So Deron Davis announced before the game, uh, on his birthday no less, that he would miss the game with Achilles soreness. Uh, I think probably not shocking uh, given the number of minutes he played in the Arkansas game and the, the physicality of that game. And ultimately, you know, you kind of thought in a game like this, it was hard to figure out what you would do with him defensively. Um, you could certainly take advantage of him on the offensive end, but with a team that really wanted to play five out and really spread you out, I don't know that there was a, a natural way to, to, you know, fit him in defensively. So at the time, probably didn't seem like a huge issue. Uh, Al Durham, meanwhile, goes down early in the game, falls really hard on his back or his hip. Uh, you know, you, you touched on him uh, a minute ago. He played. He ended up playing 11 minutes, none in the second half, didn't warm up uh, with the team at all coming out of halftime. And then you had Romeo Langford take a, a head to the face uh, inadvertently there down the stretch and was uh, gushing blood all over uh, the court. And so, you know, it became clear as much as he was bleeding, even if they were able to stop that, it didn't seem likely he was going to come back in. So at that point, I used down to really five guys that they had played. Those those five being Juwan Morgan, Romeo Langford, Rob Finnessy, Justin Smith, who started the game, and then Demise Anderson, who came off the bench. Um, I think what you said, you know, sometimes you learn things maybe you didn't expect to learn, but in a game like this, to not see Clifton Moore at all, to not see Jake Forrester at all, to not even see Johnny Jager at all was kind of surprising to me just to even give guys a break because Evan Fitzner struggled defensively, struggled to, to box out, um, did end up hitting some hitting some key free throws, but was a second straight you know struggle of a game for him. Demise Anderson was struggling defensively, hit a couple big shots late. Um, it just felt like if there was a time that you were going to give somebody else a shot, it was at some point in the second half of this game. So um, it, it's easy to overreact a little bit, but in this game when you needed almost anybody who could step out and play to not see those guys to me is pretty telling. Yeah, no, I think so. And I'm, you know, obviously there's a couple of ways you can look at that. I tend to think that Archie Miller's got as good of a sense of what this roster has on it as anybody. And if there's a reason why Clifton Moore and Jake Forrester in particular didn't come out on the floor. I think that it it probably is 
you know, contributional in nature more than anything else. I mean, you can, part of the problem, frankly, was that most of the damage that Arlington was doing was from the backcourt. And you're not going to stick Clifton Moore out there or Jake Forrester out there to, to guard somebody on the perimeter. I mean, that you're, that's going to cause more problems than it solves. Uh, certainly, your point about Fitzner is a good one. But again, I think at least Fitzner has the ability to guard out to about 15 feet and still recover. He certainly didn't do it today, but at least he has the ability to try. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that there's there's probably just a situation where Forrester and Moore are a ways away from actually being able to contribute. And it wouldn't even be an issue except for the level of injury that this team is currently experiencing. And, you know, obviously, th- this is where the McRoberts injury, I think, really hurts more than anything else, because McRoberts has the ability to guard guards as well as guard people in the front court. And taking him out just completely devastates the backcourt rotation. And then when you lose Al Durham on top of that, it just, it creates a lot of issues. And look, I think that certainly you can criticize Archie Miller for the, the, the substitution patterns of not bringing those guys in if you want. I just don't know if bringing those guys in would have done much good. And frankly, it could have done more harm than good, uh, you know, simply because that almost gives their guards a license to drive on every possession. And that was going to create problems, maybe not for Forrester and Moore, but certainly for, you know, Juwan Morgan or Justin Smith, guys that you couldn't afford to get into foul trouble given the way that the game was trending. Yeah, it's odd to have a conversation about depth with a team that we all talked about coming into the season was as deep as any that we could remember. Um, but just the injuries mounting for this team, um, you know, it, it seemed like based on uh, Archie's radio show last night that there was a chance that, you know, McRoberts and, and Devontae Green would come back to practice at least sometime this week, whether they're available uh, Friday for the UC Davis game uh, is unknown at this point, um, although uh, becoming more and more important as more guys went down, as you don't know what Al Durham's status is going to be, mm-hmm. Romeo, you would certainly presume would, would be fine by then to play, but uh, and maybe even Durant. But yeah, definitely a, a lot of question marks uh, about that. And, and I think it remains to be seen, you know, whether some of those guys can work their way in. If this team ever gets back to full strength, I don't really know. But I do think, um, to your point, I think matchups dictated a lot of it. But I do think there were times, based on how other guys were playing, that if you really had any any belief from a coaching standpoint that those guys would be able to positively impact the game, yeah. that, that somebody would have been in there. So if nothing else, I think we learned something about the rotation, um, although we're going to figure out pretty quickly that it, that might not matter if <laughs> too many more guys get hurt. So we'll uh, we'll kind of sort through that as we go. But uh, Definitely, definitely an interesting takeaway. And uh, for all the questions in the offseason about who was going to make the rotation, I think we're starting to get some pretty good ideas of, of where that all sits over these last couple of games with how, how things have shaken out with the injuries. So uh, coming up, we're going to continue our breakdown of Indiana's 78-64 to victory over UT Arlington. And we'll point out tonight's meaningful moment you might have missed and then go inside the numbers to highlight the most important statistical notes from the game. You're listening to the Assembly Call. Stick with us. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Andy Bottoms here with special guest host Galen Clavio, and we are breaking down Indiana's 78-64 win over UT Arlington tonight. And it's time for tonight's meaningful moment that you might have missed. Um, There are maybe a lot of of parts of this game that we would want to forget uh, based on how they went, but there were a couple of plays that Rob Finnessy made in the first half uh, that to me just kind of show 
where he is as a player. Uh, one of them was actually on UT Arlington's first basket of the game. Guy hits a, a really tough shot over him, um, but doesn't hang his head at all, gets the ball, basically takes it straight down the middle of the court, makes a move, gets to the basket, and makes a layup. Didn't hang his head, uh, just really went back down and attacked on the other end. And then there was another one that uh, Andy Graham uh, pointed out on Twitter that I that I that I found here. Basically, the, the tweet says, Rob Finnessy pays attention. Knew the shot clock was going down. Knew Brian Warren had to shoot it. Knew Warren is left-handed. Anticipated, pick Warren's pocket, drew a foul. Great awareness, not your average freshman. Um, I, I think Rob is a guy who, you know, again, in a game, he didn't score a, a, as well tonight as he has in some of the other games. Ended the game with eight points, uh, but played 39 minutes, um, had four assists, just two turnovers in those 39 minutes, which the way I, you turn the ball over at times tonight is pretty impressive to only have two. Uh, you just continue to see all the little things that he does well and the winning plays that he makes and the way that he's able to get the ball uh, to guys where they need to, to have it. Uh, you know, he just continues to be a bright spot. And, uh, and I really don't know, given the guard depth, uh, what this team would be doing right now if he wasn't playing as well as he was and as steady as he was at the point. Um, but I really thought, you know, those, those couple moments really highlight smart plays uh, by him in the game and, and just a, a really high, you know, I hate to, you know, use the cliche basketball IQ, but just, just a really smart and well-prepared player uh, that, that knows when to attack, knows when to pull it out. Um, and, and I thought another really solid game from him. Galen, any thoughts on, on Finnessy's play tonight, those plays, any other, you know, kind of little things that you, you see him do now that we're, you know, four games into his career? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, he had, he had a relatively quiet game today compared to what we saw, for instance, against Marquette or even, frankly, against Arkansas. But it was a steady performance, at least on the offensive end. And I think, you know, he's still learning some things defensively. And I think that, uh, you know, going up against the shooters that he went up against today, uh, you know, he could have been better. But I think offensively, he didn't take anything off the table. You know, he finished with a, you know, four assists, two turnovers, he, you know, he shot the ball reasonably well. His three-point shooting didn't really materialize today. He only took one and he missed it. Uh, didn't get to the line, but uh, you know, there there are just the little things that, as you see with freshmen, you can't always count on. Their the decision making isn't always there. Uh, you know, their their mindset isn't right, or they're in the wrong place on the floor. IU's really blessed right now because between Finnessy and Langford, they've got two freshmen that aren't playing like that. And, you know, we saw there was that nice backdoor dish that, that Finnessy had to, to Langford in the second half that, that led to an easy bucket. And that wasn't just Finnessy. That was also Langford. But the fact that the two of them as freshmen are able to, to be in, in such close mental proximity, I think really bodes well for this team moving forward. And, and as you said, I don't know where the team would be at this point necessarily if they didn't have that steadying presence in the backcourt. It, it's, it's allowed them to you know, to lose an incumbent point guard uh, in Devontae Green and, and really not miss a beat and, and maybe even gain a couple of beats, uh, you know, given the, the, the sometimes Devontae zone that we saw the offense enter into last year. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would agree with you there. Uh, another moment that I, that I had, I think this was also in the first half, I think Juwan had a play where he blocked the shot, grabbed the rebound, dribbled the length of the floor, made a move around a defender and laid it in and, um, one of the one of the few astute comments that uh, Stephen Bardo made during the game was uh, was just about what an impressive play that was from a guy of his size and things like that. That that may have been the last uh, reasonably intelligent thing that came out on there. But I thought Juwan, especially early, was really assertive and he had seven points and five rebounds. I think by the 
by the second media timeout. I was actually surprised uh, at the end of the game that he only ended up with 10 rebounds. I mean, he looked like he was going to get a double-double uh, in the in the first half uh, as, as he went. But he finished 9 of 11 from the field, had those 10 rebounds, also had four assists, tied for the team lead with Finnessy. Um, and again, as I mentioned before, you know, played all 20 minutes in the second half. I, I thought, you know, again, he was able to stay on the floor, picked up a relatively early foul again. And I feel like uh, similar to the uh, Arkansas game, but managed to stay out of foul trouble uh, in a game where he could really use his size to his advantage. But, um, you know, anything stand out to you, Galen, from Juwan's, uh, Juwan's play tonight? Well, just he played the way that he had to play if IU was going to win the game. I mean, when, when it got down to a one-point margin – he'd already kind of put the team on his back and, and he really put the team on his back at that point and just made plays, whether it was that coast to coast deal, whether it was, you know, getting possession and, and, you know, getting the ball up into the cylinder. I mean, to shoot, you know, nine of 11 on the game and, and, uh, you know, to have a positive mark from the free throw line and to contribute rebounds and to have more assists and turnovers. I mean, it was altogether the kind of performance you have to have. And it really, it drives home how much they missed, Juwan Morgan in that Arkansas game on Sunday throughout that first half, you know, how much he contributed in the second half of that game, how much he contributed in the second half of this game. I mean, he's, he's a really good player. I mean, there's a reason why he should have been first team all big 10. And it's obviously, I think it's heartening that in games like this, he's already got the bit in his teeth. He's already willing to to kind of throw down and say, look, I got to take care of business here. Um, you know, certainly he wasn't alone in that. I mean, obviously Romeo Langford played a role and, and even offensively, Justin Smith, I thought did some good things, you know, down the stretch in the second half, but give Morgan all the credit in the world. I mean, if, if there's a reason why IU was able to pull the bacon out of the fire here, he was the reason why. Yeah, he just, yeah, he really did. I think there was a point where really when the game started to get close, it felt like, you know, he and, and Romeo in particular weren't really touching the ball enough offensively. And it felt like either of those guys could really do, you know, kind of whatever they wanted, whatever they needed to do over the course of time. And I think they just got away from that for a little bit. And so, you know, they threw a pass into him right about the free throw line. He throws a great pass to Justin Smith that that really, you know, was one of the plays that started that run. The, the play that really started it was kind of a, a lucky uh, play that that Fistner tried to enter it into Morgan. It goes over his head, and Justin Smith's right there, uh, you know, to put it back up and in. But really after that, Juwan really asserted himself and, uh, as you said, you know, made plays and, and did everything that he needed to do to get this team a win. So uh, an impressive performance from him, as we have come to expect. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio breaking down Indiana's 78-64 win over UT Arlington. And now it's time to go inside the numbers. So, Galen, I'll throw out a couple things here uh, and feel free to, uh, you know, to, to hit these or go in a different direction. Uh, turnovers was one that particularly in the first half was a was a problem for both teams. Each team had 13 turnovers in the second half. Actually, both, uh, both looked to finish with 18 on the game. Um, but the IU really struggled to take care of the ball. And it was a lot of the, some of the same kinds of things that we saw against Arkansas, lazier passes on the perimeter, guys not stepping to receive the ball, um, just really getting sped up by, you, you know, by a team that really, I mean, they gave a little bit of pressure, but it wasn't like what Arkansas saw. And IU got really careless with the ball and could have had an even bigger lead than they did at halftime when they were up 17 as it was. Uh, that got better uh, for the most part in the second half. I think they still kind of came in waves. There were a couple waves of them in the first half where they committed four turnovers in a minute and 47 seconds 
And then I think there was another one where they had three in a minute and nine seconds. Um, so just kind of that, that felt like deja vu a little bit to me and some of the, the flurries of turnovers where they would just snowball, um, you know, over the course of a game. But I guess let's hit that first because that was really one of the numbers that, that stuck out to me in a negative fashion for IU. What, what did you see that you felt was leading to the kinds of turnovers that IU was making? I think that a lot of it comes from Romeo Langford, actually. And as good as Langford is, he is throwing passes that in his mind work better than they do in reality. Uh, you know, and, and I think that I'm, – I'm not, I'm not being necessarily critical here, but I think that he's expecting players to react faster or I think he's expecting players to, to, to come back to the ball. Or I think that – and this is perhaps the most important of the three – he's not expecting defenders – to jump balls the way that they have been. And this was certainly evident in the Arkansas game. And again, it was evident tonight. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a natural transition for Romeo Langford, and it's an important one for him, is understanding that you're a level higher in the basketball hierarchy right now. You're going to be facing better athletes. You're going to be facing guys that are really watching the ball. You probably didn't face that as much in, in either high school or AAU. I think it's an absolutely fixable problem. I thought he got a lot better at that as the game went along. I mean, there were one or two passes down the stretch, uh, you know, but, but that's where I think it comes from. I don't think it's anything to sound an alarm about. I think it's a natural maturation process and developmental process that he's going to go through. Um, you know, and I, the bigger issue for me is Justin Smith's turnovers. You know, he had six turnovers in this game and it just contributed to, uh, you know, what I, what I think has been, unfortunately kind of subpar play by Justin so far this season. Now he played more minutes tonight uh, than he has before, and he hasn't exactly been a turnover machine. I mean, he only had five turnovers total on the season coming into the game, but you know, it's like he fixes one part of his game and then another part breaks, you know, in the last couple of games, he struggled offensively. He comes into this game. He's five for eight from the field. He hits some free throws. He scores 13 points. He grabs, some rebounds, but he turns the ball over six times. And, and really in the first half, you know, he was kind of a, a, a low-key problem for the IU offense that just kind of kept popping up possession after possession. You know, we always talk about sophomore slumps and trying to learn how to play consistently well. We've seen players across the board deal with that at IU over the course of time. I think that's what Justin's going through right now it's something that he has to really focus on. And I think that that's going to be a key thing to watch over the course of the next month or two is, you know, can Justin Smith straighten out the elements of his game that are causing him problems so that he could take advantage of all of the good aspects of his game, the ones that we saw at the tail end of last year. Yeah. He, it's an interesting one with him. He does, he has the ability to, you know, I think the, you know, like we've thrown out Troy Williams type comparisons where he's, He's going to, at this point in his career at least, going to be able to score predominantly off of good cutting, moving off the ball, and benefiting from the defense paying particular attention to the other guys that are on this team. And I think there are times when he tries to do a little bit more than that, and that's where he gets himself into trouble. And I thought even defensively tonight, he really struggled to keep guys in front of him. And he was a guy who, even against a smaller team, I think most people would have expected to be able um, to at least contain things a little bit better um, and there were certainly stretches in the game when he struggled there. It, this is a case where, you know, one of the things you don't learn in this, so he said we kind of learned about the rotation, is you don't really learn how short of a leash some of these guys are really on because 
like it or not, he was able to play through those mistakes because there was really nobody else to turn to right. uh, for Archie Miller. And maybe that benefits him in the long run, and hopefully it does. But, yeah, I agree. I thought his turnovers were probably more egregious than the ones that, that Langford made. But I, I, I see what you're saying with him where it's just like, you know, maybe not everybody is on his level or anticipating that he's going to do what he's going to do and, uh, you know, some of those kinds of things. But, yeah, Justin's yeah. performance was was kind of up and down. Did make some big baskets um, just being around the hoop, but – um, you know, definitely, definitely came out. to play in that this, the second part of the second half, and that's when he mm-hmm. really needed to show up. And I give him a lot of credit for that. It's just you, you want to see more consistency throughout the course of the game from him. I think that's the biggest thing right now. Yep. So the other three point shooting was, uh, you know, I think the first half the teams combined to go two for twenty two from three. It was, it was not pretty. Uh, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Now there was it was kind of a tale of two halves in that regard. On the UT Arlington side, they continued to shoot them, and things started to go their way. They made seven out of seventeen uh, in the second half. Took seventeen of their thirty-one shots from three-point range. Some of those were clean looks. Some of those were were more contested. IU, on the other hand, opted to only take two three-point shots in the second half, uh, which, given how well they shot from two-point range in the first half, was probably a smart move. I think they were fifteen of twenty or something like that from the from the from two-point range in the first half. Um, they just were one of two uh, in the second half and three-point range, really focused on the latter part of the first half and the beginning of the second half, uh, really throughout the second half, trying to focus on getting the ball inside, driving to the basket. Um, so so people were probably having flashbacks to the Indiana State game as UT Arlington got hot from three-point range in the, uh, in the second half. Was there anything that you saw that IU was doing differently, incorrectly, um, or was it just that some of the same shots that UT Arlington got in the first half just started to go in, whether they were good or not? I think it was more that. And I look, I think there was there a lot of it came down to who was playing defense on the perimeter. You know, without Al Durham out there, you're 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 either playing Finnessy and Langford out on the perimeter, and, and Langford, while he's a good defender, I think is is not yet really locked into playing perimeter defense. Or you're playing Demise Anderson out on the perimeter, who is not a good defender right now. I think that it's something he can potentially develop into, but he's he's a long way from that. And you know, look, I, I think that Arlington came out knowing they were going to have to shoot from long range if they were going to get back into the game. And you know, when you get right down to it, it was really only two guys, and you know, it was it was Dennis and Warren, and they each only hit three shots a piece from long range it just they all happened to come in a cluster and it was during a time period where I think Arlington cut the lead from 14 to like five and and it freaked everybody out so I I get why there was a lot of concern maybe there were some flashbacks to IUPUI or, or excuse me IPFW or Indiana State but to me it was one of those things where it just kind of clustered around a particular moment in time they didn't continue to shoot well and for the game Arlington only shot 27 percent from three I, it, they, they, that's still a tremendous defensive percentage from three-point land for IU to turn in, and, and it's going to keep them probably in the top 20 in the country percentage-wise going into the next uh, next game. I think on the IU side, I, what, what was the point in shooting threes in this game when you had a natural advantage going into the post? Like, you know, I get the idea that you need to shoot threes in the modern game, but the idea that you would shoot threes when you don't really have three-point shooters out on the floor and you have Juwan Morgan and Romeo Langford and Justin Smith, all guys that can easily take it to the basket against this Arlington team, that made a lot more sense. I mean, it wouldn't have been nice to have seen Fitzner go, get out and actually hit a couple shots from long range, but he seems to have dropped into a bit of a funk here 
over the course of the last couple of games. So, you know, I, I, I it was a weird game. It was one where Arlington was going to have to hit a lot of threes in order to make a mark. And frankly, they didn't hit enough to, to get themselves even within double digits. Yeah, I thought I would agree with you. I mean, if you look at the, you know, they weren't getting shots off of ball movement typically. I mean, they finished the game with seven assists in the game on 24 minute field goals. So it wasn't like they were, you know, running sophisticated offensive sets that were predicated on really swinging the ball around and getting good shots. I, I don't think it was that. So, you know, I do think it, it got to be, you know, a few shots start to fall. They got some confidence during that one stretch that you mentioned. And, and yeah, from, from IU's perspective, you know, really they had shot quite a few toward the beginning of the half, really got away from that. They'd made six straight baskets going into the, the half before Fennessey missed a three right at the, at the horn um, going in, but they had really gotten away from, you know, shooting threes. And again, in a game where they had such a height advantage early in the game, even when they would miss, they got a ton of offensive rebounds, but you shoot threes and miss those, the long rebounds at some point you having position don't, doesn't really mean anything uh, there. So I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, just hit a couple other quick stats here. Uh, points in the paint, IU finished with uh, 30, uh, 52, actually. So 52 of the 78 in the paint plus 16 free throws. So um, IU did a lot of damage there. I think that was pretty even in both halves, 28 in the first half, 24 in the second. Uh, fast break points, uh, IU outscored them 25 to 6 in that regard, but they had 19 of those uh, at halftime. Part of that was the turnovers where uh, UT Arlington was able to take a little bit better care of the basketball in the second half. Um, IU, on the other hand, mentioned the assist numbers for uh, UT Arlington. IU had 17 assists on 30 made field goals, so a bit better number there. I uh, obviously don't want to see more assists or more turnovers than assists uh, as they had in the game, but uh, anything else stand out to you from a statistical perspective, Galen? Yeah, looking over the box score, I think the biggest things that stand out to me are Al Durham, his loss was bigger than maybe even we want to estimate. He had six points in the 11 minutes that he was in there and you know had shown an ability to shoot from three. He had one of the two made threes that IU had the entire game. Yeah, granted, he missed a few as well, but you know, he, was, he was contributing early on offensively. And you know, hopefully that's not a serious injury that he suffered. I think the other thing that stands out probably – I already mentioned him a little bit, but uh, you know Evan Fitzner. It's hard to get a read on exactly what Evan Fitzner is is going to bring to the table now because you know you you saw what he did in that Marquette game, and you're like, wow, you know, here's a guy who, who comes in, he scores 16 points, he's uh, four for four from three, and you know then you look at the rest of his season so far, and you know it's it's been relatively uneven. He's now got. You know, three games where he scored in single digits or, or hasn't scored, and then two games where he scored 14 or above. So I don't know if it's just a, a, an early season small sample size thing or if, it, if there's a larger issue with, with consistency there. Um, but, you know, certainly defensively, as we talked about, there were some concerning signs in this game as far as what he contributed. And I think you saw a little bit of that in the Arkansas game as well. So that's, that's certainly something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I agree. I want to talk a little bit more about him uh, next. So we'll do that uh, after the break here. We're going to continue breaking down IU's 78-64 win over UT Arlington. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Fitzner, a bit about Demise Anderson. Those guys are, uh, you know, really the only two bench players that saw action tonight. So I wanted to touch on them and their performance and uh, get your thoughts there. So that's next here on the Assembly Call. Stick with us.
You are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Catch us live immediately following every IU basketball game, plus every Thursday night and Monday afternoon at our website, assemblycall.com. I'm Andy Bottoms here with special guest host Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast, and we are breaking down Indiana's 78-64 victory over UT Arlington. And Galen, before the break, you you touched on Evan Fitzner a little bit. I wanted to circle back to him a, a little bit more. I think um, it's it, it was funny. Everybody knew coming in, you know, what he did in the Marquette game was essentially what what everybody wanted. You know, you're kind of perfect version of what he is as an IU player was that game. A guy that can help you space the floor, give you some outside shooting that you really missed before, made a couple baskets inside, uh, and just played a solid overall game. Um, then, you know, you turn around the Arkansas game, and it just, the physicality of the game, the speed of it just seemed too much for him. And when you really kind of look back at the Marquette game, you know, once Theo John got in foul trouble, the big guys that Marquette was playing were, I guess you would fall more in the kind of finesse big men type category. It wasn't anybody that was really going to rough him up. Joey Hauser, maybe a little bit, but not too much. Still wanted to step out and shoot himself. So kind of, you know, somewhat a, a mirror image of what he was. Wasn't a guy that was going to be able to take him off the dribble. Struggled in the Arkansas game. I thought struggled tonight. Part of that was the personnel where it's like, you know, kind of the same thing where we talked about, you know, maybe not having Deron Davis for this game. It is the the impact of that is minimized by the fact that you wouldn't know what you'd do with him defensively. I think Fitzner was the same way, uh, was kind of slow to rotate. There was a play that I think Romeo made a foul on where he just jumped from a really odd place to kind of block a shot where it was like there was really no way the ball would have come there, but he just couldn't get where he needed to to really shut off the drive. Um, you know, struggled to to block out even some of the smaller guys, which was, um, you know, kind of troublesome. And, you know, I thought at least one of the shots, maybe maybe two of the both threes that he shot were a little bit forced, um, did end up making five free throws in the game, grabbed five rebounds, got a couple big rebounds late. Um, but in 28 minutes, you know, didn't make a field goal uh, and really struggled. So are, are we starting to see you know, maybe why, you know, people wondered, Hey, this, look at this guy. He didn't play much, but he didn't play much for St. Mary's. Why would that, why would that be? Are we starting to see some of those things? Like what's your, what's your read on him? Cause it's been a, a mixed bag for sure. Uh, over the first four games. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's always easy to, to get a false impression of somebody. If you're just like talking with them for like five minutes versus spending an hour or two hours with them. And, and I think that, and that's not necessarily to say that Evan Fitzner is is not a, a good basketball player, but the I I think frankly what we're seeing is a guy who's being hurt much like other people on this roster are being hurt by all the injuries. Evan Fitzner, who should in an ideal world be coming in and giving you somewhere between ten and fifteen minutes, is now being asked to play significantly more minutes than that. Is being asked to play out of position. Is being asked to match up against people that he can't match up against effectively. I mean, you're, he, he's going to look a lot worse in those situations. And that's going, I think, to naturally put him in a position where the things that are good about his game, the things that we saw in that Marquette game, are affected in a negative manner. And I think you can make the same argument for several players on this roster. Deron Davis falls into that category. Everybody got mad at Deron for you know missing the putback against Arkansas. Well, that's a guy coming off a major – leg injury who's got no lift in his jump he's, he's not in shape ideally that's not a guy that's in there in the first place and yet he's there because he has to be and that's it's unfortunate but it's just the reality of the situation so uh, you know certainly 
we now know what a future looks like when we, you have to have 25, 30 minutes out of Evan Fitzner and he has to you know, go out there and play primarily as a defensive player in the post because we don't have anybody else that can do it. And so hopefully as guys come back healthy, we won't have to see that anymore. And so I'm not too worried about it. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of players, if you go back through IU history, where if they'd had to play a lot of minutes, we would have had a, a much worse impression of them. Remy Abel's a great example. Like Remy Abel in the in the like the 2012 season, he was able to come in and or maybe it was 2013 season. He came in, he'd play like a great eight minutes, and he's like, wow, that guy's pretty good. Like, why doesn't he play more? Well, if you play him 20 minutes, you're not going to get, to get the same sort of performance out of him. Certain guys can only come in in certain doses. So that's I, I would not sound the alarm on Evan Fitzner either. But I do think you need to readjust your expectations for lineups where we do have to play a significant amount of Evan Fitzner or Deron Davis, for that matter. Yeah, what I think is what I think is interesting is so far this season we've seen Fitzner and Davis play together a lot, which was surprising for a variety of reasons. What I think seems to make more sense later is to kind of pick and choose the matchup of which of those guys can give you what you need based on who you're playing in that particular game. You know, I'm not sure either one of them would be the answer to that question tonight, but in the Arkansas game, it was clearly Davis. He did the best job um, defending Gafford, gave IU a lot, which I didn't, you know, kind of like you, I didn't really understand the backlash between him. I mean, he missed a shot. He got called for a really cheap foul. You know, I use not probably in the position they're in in that game if he doesn't come off the bench and play as well as he did. Um, and and Fitzner was a really good matchup for what Marquette did and and played really well as a result. So I'm curious if as the games get more competitive, as you get into conference season, if you don't start to see that a little bit more. But yeah, I think they're they're both kind of playing together or kind of miscast in that role. But you know, again, the injuries are trying to you know cobble things together, which I suppose is as good a segue as any to Demise Anderson who. <laughs> you, you you picked up on it, yes. Yeah, who, you know, ended up playing 18 minutes. And we mentioned this on the show after the Arkansas game, that there's really no scenario in which you would have envisioned him playing the kind of minutes against in that Arkansas game as he did. Um, and while there were certainly things to, to not like about that performance, particularly on the defensive end, I know Coach had some, uh, you know, strong, strong words about his performance. Um, he's being put in a situation that I don't think he anticipated being in. Archie Miller didn't anticipate him being in. And, and yet here we are. So, uh, you know, so Demise ends up playing 18 minutes tonight. Uh, I thought, again, really struggled defensively. Um, did end up with seven points, hit the big three that I think pushed the lead back to double digits or, or right around there. Uh, scored another jumper late after um, I, I thought Archie was going to run onto the floor and strangle him after he tried that behind the back pass to Justin Smith. Um, and his other, the other shot, the only shot that he got credited with a miss on was like a one-on-three fast break where he pulled up and shot a three. And it definitely felt like another case of like, why, you know, you're kind of like testing your limits to see like, what can I do? Because you really don't have any place else to go. So I'm going to take the shot. I don't know. That's what he was. I think he's just a, a guy who is a shooter and a scorer and that's what he, he knows how to do. But, um, you know, again, I just felt like would he, they're, they're just, even in this game, I don't know that he would be playing as much as he is without all the injuries, just given what his deficiencies are and what he does well. In the end, it probably looks like a learning experience for him, uh, and we'll come back to to pay dividends at some point. But at times, is a little bit of a struggle to try to, you know, kind of watch him work through the work through the problems that he has and the, what th- the areas that he's got to get better in. I mean, look, this is a guy who practically nobody was talking about even being in the rotation 
coming into this year. It was a guy whose name was being bandied about as far as a redshirt possibly. And he's gone from that to playing 20 minutes a game because he has to. And I, that, that has got to be incredibly difficult for a guy who, while I think he's got a, a, you know, a, a lot of inherent talent on the basketball floor, he's still raw. He still needs a lot of development. So I'm, I'm appreciative of Demise Anderson and the fact that in a game like today, he didn't turn the ball. I think he turned the ball over once, which given the amount of time he had to handle the ball, that's a pretty good record. Uh, he was three for four from the field. He, he certainly took a lot off of the table defensively, but it was one of those situations where the, he kind of neutralized it by not turning the ball over, by hitting some shots when they were open. And, you know, I, I, I think back, like, this is, this is why when I talked about this season, the idea that you're going to have a situation where, frankly, you know, the, 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 the season's going to start off and everything's going to be great immediately, no. The, there was always going to be the chance that you were going to have young guys struggling early on in roles trying to figure things out. And I think in an ideal world, you're not seeing very much of Demise Anderson on the floor simply because there, there are guys on the roster that we know are ready to take those minutes and play those minutes. They're just not capable physically of playing right now. So I'm, I'm happy with what we've seen out of Demise overall. And certainly that wouldn't work you know, against – a good team, but against you know, a, a team tonight, I think that it, it was sufficient. And I think it helps him to build. I think that these are invaluable minutes for a young player to be able to go out there. Most young players don't get this. I mean, you know, unless they're players like Romeo Langford or, or Finnessy who are ready-made and, and are really out there and are able to contribute right away, most young players are, are getting these reps in practice, if at all. And so I do think that this will help in the long-term development of Demise Anderson and I'm glad that we're able to to win the game you know, with him having this performance. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio, breaking down Indiana's 78-64 win over UT Arlington. And uh, with so few players to play, I don't know that there are any individual players that we haven't hit. I know we haven't touched on, on Romeo a great deal other than the turnover number. Uh, he ended up with 16 points on 7 of 14 shooting. Missed all three of his threes. Only got to the free throw line twice, uh, which I, I, without even looking, has to be his lowest total of the season. But again, had another good rebounding game. Second on the team with eight rebounds to assist the four turnovers that we talked to about uh, about before. But I guess, you know, maybe less specific to this game, but since we haven't had you on in a little bit, Galen, I mean, what are your uh, early impressions of him? Uh, you know, first four games as a, as a Hoosier, so much hype coming in. Uh, anything that surprised you about him over the course of the, the four games, whether any of that, whether that showed up specifically tonight or not, but, but what's kind of surprised you about him? About Romeo Langford? Yeah. I, nothing, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I, I tell you what has surprised me is how fluid he looks on the floor. I think I mentioned this in one of the Crimson Cast previews, but he, he is so he, – he doesn't – he looks so natural on the basketball floor, and yet it looks weird – in an IU uniform because there have been so few players that have looked like that playing basketball. And he's so, he's so fluid with the ball, particularly on offense that it's very deceptive. It almost looks like he's not trying, which he's certainly trying. He's just very intelligent with how he does things. Uh, look, I think he's been excellent. I, I was, I was having a bit of an argument with Scott on Crimson cast earlier on today. Scott was like, well, I really want to see him like have a breakout game. And I'm like, dude has scored you know, 19, 12, 22, 22, and 16 so far on the season. He's, he's, he's been pretty darn good 
already in almost every game that he's played. And, you know, when I look at what he's brought to the table, it's, you know, he's, he's just bringing a high level of effort and an ability to play a significant number of minutes already. I mean, he's played 78% of available minutes, which is in the top 500 in the country. He's the only IU player that is in that top 500. The fact you're getting that and you're getting, you know, excellent offense, you're getting an effective field goal percentage of 55%. You're getting, you know, 66% from two out of him so far. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm really excited about what he's laid down in these first few games, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do moving forward. So nothing really surprising, just really excited to see him in a uniform and really excited that he and, and Juwan Morgan and Robert Finnessy seem to already be forming uh, a really exciting triad out on the floor. I'm going to be really, really curious and really interested to see how that partnership develops over the course of the season. Yep, I would agree. Uh, trying to kind of scroll through some of the uh, post-game comments. Um, so Achilles Soreness or Dron Davis is not the leg that was affected by last year's tear um, in the other leg. Archie said, not sure when he'll be back. Said Al was not cleared uh, to go back after the back injury that he suffered. Wasn't sure if Romeo broke his nose. Uh, nobody was injured walking to the locker room, as best I could tell. Um <laughs> So, yeah, it was so, – uh, So, I'm suiting up on Friday, apparently. That, uh, that'll be really I'm exciting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, students are gone. So, you can't even just – yeah, you're going to dip into the faculty. That's fine. Whatever you got to do. Uh, I, uh, I need to go to Orange Theory a bunch in the next couple of days, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, no, you know, uh, there was a question that we got earlier on in the chat. I I, for, I think it might have been Brett Gearhart, but it might have been somebody else. But they asked if we had any info. No, I'm sorry. It was Alan Butts if we had any word on McRoberts or Devonte Green for Friday, we have no inside information. At least I don't, maybe you do Andy, but I definitely, no. I definitely know. You're uh, the... what, what I've heard behind the scenes is that those are the two that are the closest to returning. And I mean, it could be this week. It could be next week. Uh, but it, it, th- I would expect those two to probably be back before. And I would imagine based upon the nature of the injuries that we'll probably see Devonte back before anybody else. And frankly, Devonte is the one that they need back. I think before anybody else, given the way that the roster is currently set up. But man, you know, I mean, my I guess the bigger issue with the injuries is, yeah, you know, what's what's up with Al? Does, did Romeo pick up a concussion in addition to maybe breaking his nose? Uh, you know, how bad off is 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 uh, Duran as far as the other Achilles? I mean, it's just a lot to think about. I uh, I don't envy Tim Garl and the staff here over the course of Thanksgiving. They're probably not going to be spending much time with their families. Uh, yeah, I would, I would assume not. I, I would think, like you said, it, it sounded like at least based on the comments that Archie had made that, that Devontae and uh, McRoberts were the ones that were closest to coming back, even I think alluded to they may be able to you know, start practicing again this week. So hopefully that timetable accelerates, although it's funny, there was a, you know, somebody had, uh, had posted Archie's press game conferences, Eddie Cotton replied, dear God, he looks stressed. My seven-year-old at the end of the game is looking up at the TV and she's like, dad, he looks really hot because of all the sweating. <laughs> So I was like, well, I was like, well, I'm pretty sure he is right now. <laughs> and I, I look, I, I think, you know, maybe this sounds like being apologetic or, or as Kent Sterling said, being soft uh, earlier on on Twitter. But I do, th- I do have some, some sympathy for Archie Miller. He's had to do a lot of recalculations on the fly here this first month. I mean, you know, here's a, a coach who thought he was coming in with, you know, a team that maybe went 11 or 12 deep and, he's playing with the bare minimum right now. And he's got three guys whose injuries, maybe we don't even know the extent of going into 
not just a game on Friday, you know, which is three days from now, but you, you know, you're going to have to factor Thanksgiving travel in perhaps for some guys on that, you know, coming in, going back, or maybe they're all sticking around here. I'm not sure. And then you got to turn around and you got to go to Duke on Tuesday. I mean, this is a lot of, of games in a relatively short period of time and not a lot of time for guys to get better. Not a lot of time for guys who have been injured to get back into the flow of things. Uh, I mean, I, I give Archie a lot of credit for managing things as well as he did. And, and you know, he's still getting killed on the, on Twitter and, and on the message boards. And I understand why. I mean, people don't really care about the excuses. They just want to see the results. But, but man, it's a lot to manage right now. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's really unfortunate that things have come down the way they have. I am glad, I guess, if it was going to happen, I'd rather it happened in November than happen in like February or March, which, you know, that's, that's, that's always the worst time for it to happen, but it's, it's really no fun regardless of when. Absolutely not. All right. Well, coming up in our final segment, we're going to hand out our game balls, take a quick look ahead to Indiana's next opponent. And then in last call, we'll deliver our final thoughts on Indiana's 78 64 win over UT Arlington. That's next here on the assembly call. Stick with us. We're listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. This is Andy Bottoms with special co-host Galen Clavio. And I have completely lost where exactly we were in the run sheet. That's always fun. Um, but uh, all right, so we're going to... Our gonna run hit. sheet is injured too. Yeah, apparently. My computer is is on roughly the same uh, roughly the same wavelength as the rest of IU's, uh, of IU's team. All right. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna finish breaking down. This is a good sign that we probably need to wrap things up. <laughs> break break down IU seventy eight sixty four win over UT Arlington. Uh, so first we're gonna hit our game balls here. Uh, Galen, I'll let you go first. Um, obviously, the injuries have limited the number of players even even to potentially choose for such an honor. But uh, who would you give your game ball to from the game tonight? That's I mean I, I think the only logical choice here is Juwan Morgan. Uh, really. Put the team on his back in the second half. Twenty-three points, nine rebounds, four assists, three blocks, two steals, and you know was really the emotional anchor of the team down the stretch. Uh, you know certainly had help, but I think if you don't get that kind of performance out of Juwan Morgan, maybe they don't pull out of the tailspin that that led to them having the lead dwindle to one. And so, good to see Juwan bounce back, especially after a an Arkansas game where you could you could kind of point the finger at him and say you know we might have won the game if we'd gotten more minutes out of you uh you know without the fouling situation so game ball goes to Juwan Morgan and uh, you know that's the, the senior leadership this team needs yeah I would agree he was he was the easy call for me I thought really when they needed him down the stretch came up big uh came out with good energy to start the game when you know some other guys seemed a little flat he was really really into it early had that quick seven points five rebounds uh, I think by the under eight timeout. So for me, this was a pretty easy one. Uh, I thought Romeo played played well, uh, played well too. But I thought Juwan was the uh, was the easy answer for that one. So uh, a couple quick housekeeping things from a show perspective before we look ahead uh, to the game against UC Davis on Friday. Uh, because of Thanksgiving, there will be no Assembly Call Radio show on Thursday night. We will have a post game show after UC Davis on Friday. I believe Jared will be back for that. I do not know who will be with him, but I know that I will not be. Uh, as we tr- also try to piece things together while Ryan's hanging out in in Maui. Uh, and I know Coach had his first uh, first high school game uh, of the season tonight, so hopefully 
things went well for Western High. But uh, so one we'll, actually. All right. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's upset good. Kokomo fifty three to forty seven. Nice man, you're really on top of things. Well, well done, well done. Maybe Galen will be back. I mean, pulling you know, high school. I'm going, to, I'm going to the game on Friday. Okay, so. fair enough. I mean, you're pulling high school scores out. This is how well, you. Get, was, to uh, be fair, you're welcome any time. But this is good. Coach put that in the chat. I just happened to notice it as it rolled by. Oh, all right. So. Well, well, either way, you were more alert to that than I was. So I'll give you credit where credit is due. Uh, so IU plays UC Davis on Friday. Uh, they are one and four currently, but playing uh, Sacramento State. Uh, sometime this evening and the score hasn't updated yet, but they've been a little bit disappointing. We're picked uh, as it seemed like one of the better uh, mid-major teams on IU's non-conference schedule team picked uh, toward the top of the big West conference. And they have not gotten off to a good start uh, with losses at home to San Francisco and San Diego from uh, what looks to be a pretty good West coast conference. They lost at Arkansas by 23 uh, did beat Texas A&M Corpus Christi by three points in overtime on a neutral floor uh, before losing at Texas Arlington uh, by nine. So, you know, they're a team that's really struggled offensively uh, so far ranked, at least as I look at this outside of the top 300 in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm uh, have shot the three incredibly poorly. One of the worst, uh, you know, 10 team or seven or eight teams actually in the, in the country shooting threes haven't been a whole lot better on two pointers have turned the ball over a lot, which uh, we know I use been good at forcing turnovers. So not a lot that they hang their hat on from an offensive standpoint, uh, defensively uh, they've been better there uh, have limited uh, opponents to 30% three point shooting. So have been impressive there, but uh, you know, all things considered a game that I, you should win. I think, uh, Ken Palm gives IU a 97% chance to win. Not sure that accounts for the fact that IU may have uh, anywhere between six and seven uh, players that are available for the game, depending on how things shake out with the uh, with the set of guys that they have. So, you know, who knows that how that'll play into it. It, it you know, it'll be uh, while still a game IU should win. I think Juwan Morgan made a comment after the game that if we have to play five guys 40 minutes, that's what we'll do. Uh, I hope we don't have to find out whether he can be proven correct on that statement. Um, but again, a UC Davis game, uh, one that IU should win. Uh, and, and you know, really a big one heading into a big stretch uh, for IU where they, you know, the start by playing at Duke, then those couple Big Ten games, then uh, Louisville and Butler. So a really big five-game stretch after that. So hopefully IU can get through that game, get a win, uh, not sustain any more injuries and move to uh, five and one on the season. And so uh, that, that's again, a game that IU should win, but, uh, but with all the injuries and, and certainly after tonight's game, not one that we will take for granted uh, by any means based on how things have gone so far. If I'm IU, maybe I play a two, three zone in this game. I mean, in all seriousness, the, the, you know, yeah. this is a UC Davis team. Their top two players are like TJ shorts. Who's a five, nine guard and Siler Schneider who's a 6'3 guard. Neither of them shoot the ball well from outside. And it's, um, it's just not a very impressive offensive team. At this point, you just want to try to limit as much physical contact as possible and try to get out of the game without any, any injuries. Yep, I am right there with you. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio, and we're wrapping up our postgame show after IU's 78-64 to win over UT Arlington. Remember that because you're an Assembly Call listener, you get 15% off your entire order at HoosierProud.com and HomeFieldApparel.com. So if you want to officially license IU gear, go to HomeFieldApparel.com. And if you want one of our Assembly Call logo t-shirts or one of Hoosier Proud's unique Indiana-inspired designs, visit HoosierProud.com. On both sites, use the promo code ASSEMBLY at checkout for 15% off your entire order. And with that, it's time for last call. So Galen, I will kick it to you first for your uh, final thoughts on IU's 14-point win over UT Arlington. 
Obviously, you'd like to see IU win these games by 30, and I just don't think it was in the cards for this IU team this time around. Uh, some positive things, I, I think that if, if you look at the game in totality, it was still a contest that statistically, if you didn't watch the game, if you just looked at the statistics, you said, well, you know, IU played pretty well. They had another defensive performance where they held their opponent under a point per possession and they got good offensive performances out of Juwan Morgan and Romeo Langford. Uh, you know, as we step away from the game and let it uh, get away from us a little bit, I think that perhaps we'll calm down a bit and, and understand that it's a banged up team. It's a team that's still trying to find its identity. It's still a very young team. And these are unfortunate but necessary steps along the way. I think as they start adding players back, these are going to be important building blocks. Doesn't make them any easier to watch when they happen, but I'm not pressing the panic button at all. Yeah, this was just, I just keep going back to this was just a weird game. And I don't know that there's too much else to say about it other than that. Um, You know, I thought when, uh, you know, the first half, IU really pulled away late in the half by taking better care of the basketball and really getting the ball inside uh, and really, you know, built that 17 point lead at halftime and felt like they might coast. Um, But then, you know, in some ways it was, uh, I didn't enjoy it while, while watching it by any means, but in some ways I do think there's something to be learned from blowing a lead in this game, getting close in a tight situation, in a game that you're not supposed to lose. Uh, All the pressure is on IU at that point. And they did respond. Um, And they responded with some guys who had to be pretty fatigued, not only from the amount of minutes they played in this game, but also the amount of minutes that they were forced to play in the Arkansas game just two days ago. And so, uh, if you want to look at the glass half full, uh, that's certainly the way to do it and that they found a way to win a game when, uh, you know, they're running short on players, probably didn't have their their A game, uh, but found a way to weather the storm and, and pull away at the end for a double-digit win. So uh, I'm going to choose to look at it that way. I think if games like this become more commonplace, then maybe we have a, a different conversation. But uh, it was just a, a you know weird game before Thanksgiving just a lot of a lot of kind of odd factors at play and so um you know i'm not going to read too much into it and um usually it's games like this that we say well we're just glad that nobody got the win and glad that nobody got hurt so we're one out of two on that uh hopefully hopefully this team can start to get healthy healthy and we can really see you know what they can become when at full strength what the rotation looks like at full strength uh, a lot of things that, you know, you're wanting to work those things out in non-conference games like this, that this team has not had the luxury of doing. So uh, that is the unfortunate part, but a win is a win. Uh, and we'll look forward to another game on Friday against UC Davis. Uh, one additional note on that game, it is a BTN plus game. Uh, so if you still have your subscription, uh, your monthly subscription from the uh, exhibition game, it should still cover you for this one. I think those fell within uh, a month of each other, but that will be a game that's only broadcast there, uh, which likely means no Stephen Bardo, so probably a win in the eyes of many. Um, right. the, we do get Max Bielfeld on color for this game. Uh, all right, that's a that I would I along with many IU fans would consider that to be an upgrade. So uh, we'll look forward to that and uh, and and hope that everyone has a really happy Thanksgiving. Thanks again to everyone for your support of the show uh, and for uh, and for following along as we go through the season. So four and one, uh, albeit a somewhat odd, unconventional. Uh, four and one, but, uh, you know, we, we are, we are four and one. So you can't, uh, you can't be too upset about that. And, and so we'll move forward, try to get this last game out of the way before that really tough five game stretch that we'll, we'll be able to talk about a little bit more after the UC Davis game. And in particular on the, uh, on the Monday show, uh, with Jared. So 
If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assembly call. You can also subscribe to our podcast by searching for assembly call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you on Friday after the UC Davis game. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.